rest. Um, and then audacity. Um, so let's both hit record on, um, actually, I don't know if there's any lag. So I'll hit record, I'll count to five, and then you hit record. And then count to five, just... Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. All right, four, three, two... So did I. You sound good. How about me? Yes. Yeah, you're coming in louder than normal, which is good. I am ready. Sounds good. I think I am too. No, I can't hear anything. <laughs> nice. Okay. And I'm Thomas, and in today's episode, we'll be answering the question, what is the gospel? But first, as usual, we're going to talk about our drinks of choice. So what you drinking, Nick? I've never had warm beer before, and I don't know, I, I think I'm like against that on principle, but if, if I ever visit you, I'll let you introduce me to it. I'm hesitant to try that, but I'll take your word for it the next time I have a, have a dark beer. So uh, I'm, I'm playing it safe today. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm playing it safe. I'm doing uh, the just good old American yingling traditional lager. Um, just uh, simple but refreshing. Uh, which podcast? I don't listen to that many podcasts, actually. Uh, maybe I shouldn't admit that on a recording, but who drinks yingling? Okay, well, I guess we'll find out if they actually listen to us, if they if they comment. But um, I don't know who you're talking about, so I'm just drinking Yingling because it's what was here. 
<laughs> Actually, uh, so Yingling uh, was only allowed in Indiana uh, within the last year. Um, before that, it, it couldn't be imported, and so it was like a huge deal when we could finally get it. I know, I know, but it is it is America's oldest brewery, or at least that's what it says on the label. And it it you know for a lager, um, if I had to choose a lager, I'd probably go with Yingling. It is it's it's tasty, and refreshing, and pretty cheap. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so in our last episode, we introduced a uh, a new segment uh, that we are calling. So, um, in keeping with that, I'm going to go ahead and read my joke to you. Um, and uh, I have not told you this joke in advance, so we're recording each other's honest reactions. So here is uh, the really bad pastor's joke I have for you. Uh, where is the first tennis match in the Bible? When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, that's that's just awful. That's just, that's, that's a good pastor's joke, Nick. You, you have a bright future in pastoring. <laughs> All right. Well, that has been uh, this episode's edition of. Uh, so for those of you who aren't yet aware, uh, the Sinner just finally got our very own website. Uh, so if you want to check it out, you can. It is. It is. It is official. We are worldwide web official. www.synergistspod.com, s-i-n-n-e-r-g-i-s-t-s-p-o-d.com. Uh, you can stream the episodes right from the website uh, if you want to. You can read our blogs. We've got a couple of blogs up there, uh, and also we have set up a. Uh, I, I never know how to pronounce this word. Patreon account. I think it's how you say it. Patreon. Patreon. Okay, whatever it is, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, uh, we've got one of those. Um, so, Nick, since I can't even pronounce it, can you explain a little bit more about what it is? Salute, salute, indeed. All right, so in our last episode, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since it's been published, we both had some prayer requests, uh, some life updates, so I thought we'd um, just update our listeners on those. Um, first, uh, I, I guess I'll go. Uh, we had our baby. Um, I didn't have it. My wife had it. Um, I was there. I watched it. Um, fascinating, just event. Uh, went very well. Um, happened really, really fast, faster than we were expecting. Um and healthy mom, healthy baby. I'm a little sleep deprived, so I hope my listeners will uh, forgive me if I just start, you know, sh shouting gibberish or something or don't make any sense. Um, we're recording at eleven seventeen my time, and I'm not getting a whole lot of sleep. But uh, you know, the the show, as they say, must go on. So, uh, how about you, Nick? Will you you told us about uh, an interview that you would be having and and some other things. So, what's going on with you?
Indeed, indeed. And again, if you have any prayer requests that you'd like us to be praying for for you, um, uh, Nick, I'm talking to our listeners, not to you right now. Um, if our listeners have any um, <laughs> prayer requests, feel free to send those to us. You can uh, email us, synergistoutlook.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter, uh, at us, or direct message us. We'd love to be uh, praying for whatever's going on with you as well. So don't hesitate to reach out, and we thank you for your continued prayers for us. Um also, just wanted to uh, acknowledge last week the, the Parkland tragedy. Um, certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to the victims and their families. Um, but again, as we, as we mentioned, uh, we believe that more than thoughts and prayers are necessary. Um, thoughts and prayers are good, but thoughts and prayers, as James teaches, us, uh, faith without action is dead. And so we, just, we are also praying that our leaders would take swift action to make sure that uh, this kind of senseless violence just doesn't happen anymore. We've seen enough school shootings. Um, we don't believe this is only a spiritual problem. We believe there are things that can be done. But more than that, we proclaim a gospel of peace, and we long for the day where violence is utterly removed from creation and all things are made new. But until then, uh, we support measures to um, make sure that things like this uh, don't become so regular as they have become. Amen. Amen and amen. All right. So we know that uh, at the end of episode three, we said that we were going to start a series called What is the Bible? Uh, But between then and now, we decided to call an audible. Uh, So for those of you who don't, uh, who aren't sports fans, uh, especially football fans, an audible is uh, when a football quarterback makes a last second change to the play, uh, usually when he sees how the defense has lined up. Um, So we saw some things going on within the greater culture, um, especially, well, uh, the Christian social media culture and conference culture. Uh, And we thought it would be good to um, answer the question, what is the gospel? So Nick, can you just explain a little bit more about uh, why we decided to make this change? Exactly. Um, And so actually in this episode, we are going to gently, uh, but also sort of firmly push back a little bit. Um, And what we hope to show uh, with the content in in this episode and the episodes to come, this will be a little mini series, uh, is that when the gospel, uh, quote unquote, is understood in its historical context, it's actually much richer and it's actually much fuller than it's generally described um, within the Reformed tradition, as well as some some other Christian traditions. Exactly. Um, 
So continuing with, with previous episodes, we emphasize the idea uh, that if we want to understand a biblical word or concept, we have to get back to how that word or that concept was understood within its ancient cultural context. I know it might sound like you know we're we're on repeat with that principle, but it's just so it's so important. Um, so just like in episodes uh, two and three, like we did with uh, pistis or fides, we saw how those words carried a specific meaning in the ancient Greco-Roman and Jewish world. Uh, the word for gospel, uh, the Greek word for gospel, euangelion, um, it also carried a specific meaning in the ancient world. And we need to understand that word in that context if we want to understand what it means in Christianity. That's exactly what I'm saying, Nick. Uh, historians and biblical scholars have actually demonstrated that euangelion, uh, the word for gospel, was used outside of Christianity. But not just that. I mean, that's we know that it was used specifically. Uh, it, it, it was an important word. It was an important word within the world of ancient empire. Exactly. Uh, so let me explain a little bit. This is going to be a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, so for those of you who love history, this will this will be fun. Uh, for those of you who don't, <laughs> yay! Uh, for those of you who who aren't necessarily history buffs, please hang on uh, because the the backstory to this is is really important, um, and it's it's going to help us understand what's actually going on in Scripture. So here's your history lesson. Uh, if you remember uh, reading. Um, Shakespeare or history about Julius Caesar, you un you remember that he was brutally murdered on March 15th, you know, beware the Ides of March, that whole, whole fun thing. Uh, he was murdered on March 15th by members of the Senate uh, of 44 BC, March 15th, 44 BC, Julius Caesar was assassinated which led to a time of uh, turmoil and unrest because the entire nation was caught up in this brutal civil war. You had uh, the people who had murdered Julius Caesar who were vying for power. You had people who were trying to avenge uh, his death going after the people who assassinated him. And so the entire realm was just embroiled in uh, this brutal civil war. And it was terrible for everyone. Um, you know, you would you just didn't know what was going to happen in your land, if there was going to be war, if you were going to lose everything, if you had given allegiance to the wrong person. So it was this time of just, um, you know, upheaval and unrest. Uh, and so eventually, after years of civil war, uh, C Julius Caesar's adopted son, uh, who went by the name Octavian, defeated his enemy, Mark Antony, at the famous Battle of Actium in 31 BC. Okay, so... Uh, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Uh, by 27 BC, uh, Octavian had been named Augustus. Uh, it's a term that means revered or illustrious one. Uh, he'd also been named princeps, which means first citizen uh, by the Senate. Um, and not only that, he took on the title Divi Filius, Divi Filius, which in Latin means son of a god, since his adopted father, Julius Caesar, had been officially deified by the Roman Senate um, years earlier. So it, it, all of this to say, historians generally regard uh, this date in 27 BC as the official beginning of the Roman Empire with Augustus as its first emperor. All right, I'm, I'm getting there. I promise. I promise. Be patient. Um, so, brutal civil war going on. Uh, Octavian, who became Augustus, becomes the victor, um, is sort of revered. They don't call him emperor. He doesn't call himself emperor, but we know that's what he functioned as. Uh, so the end of the Civil War and the reign of Augustus ushered in an unprecedented period of peace and prosperity in the Roman Empire. Uh, this is usually referred to as the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. 
Um, and, and so the Romans, after this, after the end of the Civil War, uh, this new peace and prosperity, the Romans began to think of Augustus and even refer to him as their savior. Uh, they used the Greek word soter, which is also applied to Jesus, as we're going to see. So they referred to Caesar Augustus as their savior. They referred to his rule, to his reign, as euangelia, good news for the world. And we actually see this exact language used in the Prien inscription. <laughs> I know, I know, very, very exciting. Prien inscription. Okay, so here's here's what happened. Um Nick, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, so towards the end of the first century, around 9 BC, just a few years before the birth of Jesus, there was a man named Paulus Fabius Maximus. Uh, he was serving as proconsul of Asia, which is modern day Turkey. He was like the governor of this province. That's a, a rough equivalent. Uh, and so he wrote a letter to all of the leaders, the provincial assembly in the a province of Asia, and he suggested that they rearrange their calendar so that the new year would begin on Augustus's birthday in order to commemorate a new era of peace and prosperity that Augustus had entered, had ushered in. So they saw this man as a savior and they decided to rearrange the calendar in light of him. That probably sounds familiar. So in other words, uh, the city of Prien, which was a city in what is modern-day Turkey, agreed to this suggestion, and they actually inscribed their agreement on stone. So it has survived hundreds and hundreds of years. And so I'm going to read to you a portion of this inscription um, that is inscribed on this stone from the city of Prien about uh, the, the birthday of Caesar Augustus. Pay attention to the language that they use uh, about... Uh, Augustus when we get there. So here's what the inscription says, quote, it seemed good to the Greeks of Asia in the opinion of the high priest Apollonius of Monophilus Azantis, since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind sending him as a savior, soter in Greek, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings, euangelion, for the world that came by reason of him. That's exactly right. And it's not, not just seems like they actually used that word, the word euangelion, which in the New Testament is translated gospel or good news. That's actually the word that they used in reference to Caesar. He was a savior and his activity brought about not just a savior, but a divine savior, but he was the son of a God, right? A divine savior, son of a God, whose activity was regarded as good news. Does that sound familiar to like any other story that we may have ever heard about?
Absolutely. Uh, but what I think is particularly fascinating about uh, these two things, the pre-inscription and Luke 2, is that uh, the pre-inscription was was inscribed just years before Jesus was born. And then Luke tells us just years later that the, that the angels used this exact word. And so what we see here with, with this historical context in mind, it is it's remarkably clear that Luke is intentionally contrasting the, the euangelion, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with the euangelion, the gospel, the good news of Caesar. As a matter of fact, a New Testament scholar, Marianne Bonds, um, in one of her writings has noted this. She says, quote, what is somewhat surprising here is the degree to which Luke adapted his presentation to imitate the narrative style and accommodate some of the artistic forms commonly associated with contemporary Roman epic. In other words, what she's saying is that when we study the Gospel of Luke in its historical context, it is remarkably clear that Luke is painting Jesus in the exact same light that the Romans have been painting uh, Caesar Augustus and, and these other divine leaders. We have uh, Jesus and Caesar sort of in competition here. So Psalms of Solomon, I can't I can't find that um, in my in my Bible, Nick. Where where do I find the Psalms of Solomon? So what we're trying to show from all of this with the, the pre-end inscription and this reference to Psalms of Solomon is that this word, euangelion, was in use prior to uh, the New Testament. It was in use prior to Paul and the gospel writers, and it had specific meanings and specific connotations. Um, and so when we come to the text of Scripture, we need to recognize that uh these words meant something in their original context, and in order for us to understand what's going on in the New Testament, we need to understand how those words were used in the, the world at large.
Bingo. Man, that, that is such an important point uh, because I think for too long, too many people have just sort of treated the life and teachings of Jesus as as though they're like some sort of optional prologue to his crucifixion, right? Like you can just sort of skip his, his life and teaching because all that really matters is his death. But, but the truth is, is that his crucifixion can't rightly be understood without understanding his life and teachings. And we're going to talk about that uh, here in a couple of minutes. Right, exactly. Um, so, so we see these, uh, we, like you just said, we, we, we've we've seen the the Greco-Roman context, we've seen the ancient uh, Jewish context, and we see that in Jesus, these two things are flowing together. Um, and not only does Mark tell us that the entire story of Jesus's life is the gospel, uh, but he also tells us that Jesus himself proclaimed the gospel. Right, Jesus preached the gospel during his ministry while he was alive on earth. We we see this in Mark chapter one verse fourteen, uh, where Mark writes, "And after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the euangelia, the good news, the gospel of God." Uh, so. Not only does Mark tell us that Jesus proclaimed the gospel, but he tells us what that gospel message was. Right, yeah, that, that's exactly what Mark says next. Jesus walked around saying, I died for you so that you don't have to go to hell, right? No, uh, uh, <laughs> that's that's funny. Um, no, what he actually said, according to Mark 1.15, here's, here's the gospel according to Jesus. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Mark tells us that Jesus preached the gospel and this was his gospel message. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Uh, the time has come is uh, an obvious reference to the fulfillment of God's plan. Uh, the Jewish people had been expecting a Messiah for some time. They expected this Messiah was going to be a king who would liberate God's people. Uh, and so now Jesus shows up on this on the scene after John the Baptist uh, predicts that someone is going to show up. After him, Jesus shows up and says, okay, the time is here. The fulfillment of God's plan is coming to pass. And then he says, the kingdom of God has come near. And it's it's very clear in context that Jesus is actually speaking of himself here. When he says, the kingdom of God has come near, he's saying, uh, in essence, I am the one who is bringing the kingdom of God here and now.
And what's actually really interesting there is uh, Rome did want to set itself up as like sort of the healer, protector, savior, um, and, and and Jesus is doing it now in a um, much grander, supernatural way, um, really setting himself up against it. Uh, but what we see here is that the gospel um, is something to be declared, that, that verb caruso. Uh, and so Jesus went among the synagogues um, and the high towers of learning, and he proclaimed the gospel to them. And that included this this notion of healing, which sort of demonstrated, it proved that he was who he claimed to be. So just to sort of recap what we're talking about, uh, the gospel according to Jesus, that like we've seen so far, is that God's kingdom is finally breaking into the world in a new way. And as we're going to see, it's a kingdom, and as we've seen, it's a kingdom that challenges the kingdoms of the world, and not least the kingdom of Caesar. Uh, this is this is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus contra the gospel of Caesar or the gospel of Rome. So if we back up a little bit, we go back to Mark chapter one, verse 15, we see that Jesus tells us himself what the proper response to the gospel is. Um, and and the, the proper response to the gospel is repentance and pistis, uh, which as we've talked about before is means faith or loyalty or uh, allegiance. But the, the proper response to the gospel is uh, repentance and pistis. It really has, um, and unfortunately, I don't think that it has to. The the Greek word that's translated repentance, uh, metanoia, it really just means a, a change of heart or a change of mind. Um, and actually, Nick, if you'll permit me, I have another uh, story from history that I think can help illustrate this. Uh, so earlier we talked... <laughs> I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, so... Earlier in the episode, we were talking about the, the civil war uh, in Rome. And so an aspect of that civil war, we have um, Octavian, who is the, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And we have uh, Mark Antony, who was one of the, um, it was initially uh, Octavian's partner, but then they split and started going after each other. Well, during that time, King Herod was reigning in the realm of Judea. He was uh, the, the king over Judea. And in the war, he initially started out backing Antony. Uh, he was a supporter of Antony. Um, but when he realized that Antony was going to lose and Octavian was going to win, and knowing what happens if you support the losing person, he repented. Uh, he changed his mind, he changed his heart, and he approached uh, Octavian and he, uh, you know, he took off his crown and um, he sort of approached him and he said, I will follow you now. I will be faithful to you um, just like I had been faithful to Antony. So pay attention to this. But so we, we see here, this is what repentance is all about. It means you, you change your mind from following one person to following a different person um, because you recognize their rightful uh, 
leadership, kingship, uh, authority. So we see that Herod actually repented from Anthony to Octavian, and, and this is sort of the backdrop against which Jesus is using um, these phrases, uh, repent and be faithful, repent and believe, all of those different things. Exactly. And if uh, if Caesar had found out that there was somebody else claiming to be king and Pilate didn't do anything, it would have been Pilate's head. So Pilate really was stuck between, if you'll permit this pun, the rock and a hard place. Um, sorry, that was that was terrible. That was awful. That was that was really bad. I I, I apologize. But, but anyway, um, back to back to the point we're actually trying to make here. Um as the church would later demonstrate, allegiance, allegiance to Jesus actually was understood uh, to be in direct opposition to allegiance to Caesar. Uh, the, the early church understood that the gospel of Rome and the gospel of Jesus were incompatible. And so I just want to I just want to emphasize here that the point that we're trying to make with all of this is that any understanding of quote unquote the gospel that doesn't take the full life and ministry of Jesus into consideration is an incomplete understanding of the gospel. The atoning death of Jesus as important as it is, and it's very, very, very important, and we're going to talk about that in a later episode, but as it, the, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus, and, and what it means for the forgiveness of sins, as important as that is, it, it cannot be rightly understood apart from understanding Jesus' actual life and teachings. Forgiveness and justification and salvation and all of those other things have to be understood within the context of the kingdom of God and Jesus as the true and rightful Kyrios, Lord of all, and our participation in that kingdom. In other words, what I, what, what I want to make sure that we emphasize here is that the gospel starts with the life of Jesus. Not the death, it starts with the life and teachings of Jesus. In other words, Sermon on the Mount, gospel. Whatever Jesus taught, gospel. We, don't, we can't truncate the gospel simply to his death and resurrection. We need his life and his teachings and his ministry. Uh, I know it's not Sunday. I feel like I'm preaching, but I, I really want to make sure that this is um, emphasized and clear what, what the point we're trying to make here. And just like we, just like we can't punt them to the future, we can't relegate them to the past either. We can't say, "Oh, that was, you know, what he taught was nice, but that was for uh, somebody different." All we're concerned about is his death. His death is meaningless apart from uh, his his life and teachings leading up to it, because it was his life and teachings that led to his death. It's it's a package deal. So the the gospel includes and starts with the life and the teachings of Jesus, not just his death.
Exactly. And when we start with Jesus and the rest of it sort of fits in and we don't have to pit, uh, you know, Jesus against Paul or Paul against James or any of those things. When we start in the right place, everything sort of fits together. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think we've figured out exactly how many episodes this little series is going to be, but it's going to be at least two more. We're going to look at um, Acts, actually at least three more. So we may have, this may be a, a, a three or four, four or five uh, episode series, but it's it's important uh, because getting the gospel right uh, is important. Um, but just just to to remind you, we do have a website, uh, and we've even got some content on there. Uh, we have a I hate this word a Patreon uh, set up for those of you who feel. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that, that, that helps me. Thank you. We have a Patreon set up uh, for those of you uh, who want to contribute to this podcast. <laughs> I'm trying, man. Like, I, I just read it. I've never heard anybody say it. Um, so, uh, but seriously, if, if, if you like what we're doing, if you find this content helpful, if you want to help us uh, increase our quality of production, if you want to help us get this out to more people or do more episodes, we've got a lot of really great uh, giving levels with rewards. We've got a lot of really neat goals. Uh, also, we we pledge to uh, tithe off of whatever we make to, to give to other people who are doing kingdom work as well because we think that's a good thing to do. Um, and, and if we get to our main goal, go to our, our say that word again, Nick. Patreon, Patreon page. Uh, it, go to that page. Uh, you can link to it from our website. Um, we, <laughs> there's some epic rewards uh, and events in the pipeline, including a, a free theology conference if we reach our goal, which we know is is out there, but we know that God is good. Um, so anyway, we've already got two patrons, so hop on over there um, to that site and join them uh, if you're willing and you're able, libertarian freedom style, of course. Uh, also, if you want to follow us on Twitter, Nick Quint, Quint, I, God, I pronounce, <laughs> Nick, Nick. I have a newborn. I haven't gotten any sleep. Give me a break. Nick Quint, but it's, if you, all right, so listen, folks, it's pronounced Quint, but it's spelled Q-U-I-E-N-T. So if I just said Quint, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to get it anyway. Nick Quint, Q-U-I-E-N-T, uh, or you can follow me, Thomas L. Horrocks. I'm still on a mini, um, so Twitter sabbatical, um, or you can follow us on Syner at Synergist Pod, uh, if you don't mind theology, snark, and sometimes some bunny gifts. Well, hey, uh, if you want to check out our blog uh, or the show in iTunes, um, we'd, we'd love any honest five-star reviews that you feel like you can give us. Uh, if they're not honest, then don't give it. Uh, but if you have honest five-star reviews, um, you can offset the almost certain influx of one-star reviews from John Piper fans that we get. Um, and if you want to share this podcast, uh, feel free to share it, even with your Reformed brothers and sisters in the spirit of family, love, and kindness. Uh, we believe we're for everybody. After all, God loves all of us. Uh, so be careful about sharing this in uh, the Reformed Pubcast Facebook group, though I hear their banhammer game is too strong, uh, and actually Les himself chided us for getting that one wrong, which was kind of funny. Uh, we won't lie. It was it was an honest speech. Yeah, but you know it was it was honest speech to text error. But but we didn't go back and edit, so we we will give uh, credit where credit is due.
<laughs> All right. Well, once again, we want to thank you for listening to the Synergist Podcast, the most man-centered theology podcast on the internet by God's providence. <laughs>